Hey everyone, thanks for joining us for this week's edition of All Things Evangelism. This week's topic is a good one, I think. It's one that you may never have considered before, but you're going to consider it today with myself and my friend Lawson Walters. Good morning. Hello. Hey, I'm incredibly happy to be here. I love talking. <laughs> it's a blessing to, to, to be here and then to be able to do so, particularly about this topic of Jesus, evangelism, and the work that there is to do. That's right. So our topic today that we're going to discuss, you and I, the biblical topic that relates to evangelism is that Jesus and his disciples did a form of public evangelism. So mm -hmm. we as Adventists are very familiar, most of us, not all of us, are very familiar with the idea of preaching the message of Scripture publicly and calling mm -hmm. people to accept the biblical message, which we believe is the Adventist message, in a public forum. It's part of mm -hmm. our DNA. It's part of our history. It's been happening for decades, over a century. It's over a century, yeah. Yeah, over if a century. Look in back to the original, like even before Seventh-day Adventism, when you talk Sabbatarian Adventism, and even before that point, like the Millerite movement, like the tents and the camp meeting, that was their main form of winning people to Christ. And that was public evangelism. They would put a tent mm. out just outside of a big city. They would go into the big cities. They would call people out of the city into the tents, and mm. they would preach different components of the Adventist message and the biblical teaching. So yeah, it's a big part of who we are as Adventists. It's a part of our history. Mm. But I'd always wondered when I first came into the Adventist church, Lawson, like why in the world do Adventists operate like this? Because is this just the method that Adventists came up with because they thought it would just be the best method for the time? Or was there something more? Did they get this idea from scripture? And that's yeah, I think definitely like ultimately every cause, every company, every message needs a medium to, to share it through. And as a church, I assume that they have reflected on scripture and come to the conclusion where it's all oh, getting out in a public forum and sharing our message is the best way to do. I guess what we're going to be looking at today is the biblical kind of model and the methodology and the example that we have from scripture. But yeah, like I can say so myself, I became a Seventh-day Adventist. I became a Christian through the forum of public evangelism. I was invited to a public evangelistic series where I heard the fundamentals of the church and of the message preached and then i became a christian myself and then i do the same work and i've been involved in public evangelism and all that kind of thing but yeah i guess it's what we're going to be reflecting and seeing today is oh why is that where does that come from should we be using a different methodology or why is it that we've selected this as one of our methods of reaching people yeah it was actually a surprise to me when i found out that jesus and his disciples essentially did public evangelism and that jesus not only preached publicly but he used his Bible, his team of disciples as Bible workers. And so that, that's what we'll do is just to kick off our conversation is just check out in Scripture little, we'll just point to Scripture and read a few verses that highlight the fact that what we call public evangelism is something that Jesus actually did. And when we do public evangelism, we're in a sense following the model of the Lord, at least a part of the model, of course. I just want to have you, if you could, Lawson, read Luke chapter 10, in verse 1, the Bible says, After these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also and sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. Okay. Yeah. So he's about to go. He's going to go to this these respective communities and he's going to do ministry. His ministry involved, and Luke 4 talks about this, his ministry involved preaching, healing, and teaching. And so he's going to heal people, he's going to preach, and he's going to teach. 
And before he does this, he sends his disciples ahead of him. And it's cool because if you read chapter the rest of the chapter and then even Matthew chapter 10, he it's basically his preparatory sermon to get the disciples in the right headspace and heart space so that they could do their work successfully in preparing people for him to come and to deliver the message. So it's almost as if the disciples are the Bible workers and Jesus is the evangelist. And I, for years, worked with evangelists as a Bible worker, as a young convert to Adventism. I, I just do Bible work in communities in preparation for the evangelistic series. And lo and behold, that's exactly what Jesus and the disciples did. Yeah, that's is, right. They're, the, they're his Bible workers. And ironically, most of the great evangelists in the Adventist church, before they did evangelism, before they were the preacher in the public forum, they were Bible workers. Yeah, that's right. They're, they were spending time mingling with the people because when you look at like Jesus, you think about Jesus showing up and the messages that Jesus can preach and the time that he spent with people was often very concise. And if we reflect on the Christian journey from our perspective and even in our own lives, it's, oh, but that was years and years, like potentially years in the making in a shorter sense, like of spending time with people, getting to meet church members and interact with Christians, and then until you finally make that decision. And so ultimately Jesus recognizes here, okay, the time that I'm going to spend with these people is very concise and it's not very long and I need their hearts to be prepared because they're going to make a, a lasting decision to follow me as a result of me showing up and spending time with them. There is this need to already mingle with them, to interact with them. And to get to them to the point where they're familiar with spiritual things, they're familiar with Christian things. And we can read what the disciples are going and preaching. Actually, these messages of, uh, yeah, that Jesus is coming, but also the result of them not following Jesus as well. It's pretty. It's a pretty gnarly message. They didn't hold back in their message. They shared very poignant scriptural truths, preparing people to have that concise moment with Jesus where they could see him, they could experience him. And as a result their lives would be changed and that would make a lasting decision. Yeah, dude. Hey, what are some of the places that Jesus preached publicly? We know like he preached the Sermon on the Mount, the on the Mount of Blessing. Yeah. We know that he preached like on the sea, on, on the, the Sea of Galilee, yeah. standing on the boat up to the people. We know that if you have a look at Matthew 23, which is a, he was preaching in Jerusalem to the Pharisees telling them that they all, they all need to step up. But yeah, like he was often preaching in a very, like when it came to what we would call his sermons, they're in very public forums. We see Jesus going around and having conversations with people and having very, very personal interactions. Like you look at the woman at the well and whatnot. But when it came to Jesus preaching, we could say pretty much every time it was in some kind of public forum. He did a ton of public preaching. Yeah. Tons of it. Yeah, he's in people's houses. He's at the seashore. He's in the temple. He's at the synagogue. He's back home in his hometown in Nazareth. He's preaching to so many people publicly that at points in time, there's 15,000 people listening to him preach. It's almost though that he's, he's a constant preacher, whether he's in someone's house and it's just like a gathering of people having a meal. He's communicating scriptural truths about the kingdom of heaven. Whether he's hanging out with the sinners and tax collectors, he's talking to them about the kingdom of heaven. Whether he's on the seashore in the middle of the city, wherever, he's just this constant communicator of scriptural truth. But we point specifically in this podcast for the sake of what we're communicating, and that is that Jesus did public evangelism to Luke chapter 10, and he's sending his guys ahead of him. I just find that really interesting. He's setting, sending them ahead, and then he's going to show up 
They will have done groundwork. They would have developed interest. They would have shared to an extent. And he sends them forth to preach as well. And he gives them power to do health ministry. And then he comes in and he's the person who's going to gain decisions. He's going to preach to the large audience. And this is what we have historically done. We go into communities, we do community service, we do seed sowing ministry, we try to develop interests. It's like we're farmers, like sowing seed, developing the ground. And then we have an event. We have a time where we get a person who's uniquely talented and especially gifted at speaking speaking to groups of people who have they have a good grasp of the message of Seventh-day Adventism and the truth of the scripture, and they are compelling people who speak with conviction and clarity, and they do evangelism, public reaping evangelism. And so, uh, look, it was news to me, and that's why I wanted to talk about it with you, Lawson, and also just with the broader church family in North New South Wales, and that was that our model of public evangelism is really following what Jesus did. And that, I think that's awesome. And there's wisdom to it. It's not just like arbitrary. We didn't just go, this is what everyone else is doing. Let's do it. No, like the history of public evangelism in the Adventist church, it's based on what Jesus did, mm. the methods of the Lord. Yeah, I've got a, I got a thought there. Okay, he's sending people before him because when he shows up, there's going to be this big event that takes place of his presence. He's going to be there. He's going to, he's going to preach. And my thinking here is actually like the disciples function in this place, their preparation of the ground, a large part of their job is that ultimately like they were like marketers. They were showing up and they were marketing Jesus to people. They were marketing his message, his truth, his character as well. A big part of their evangelism was that they were stand up people in the community that had the ability to support and love and help people. He was essentially, they were representing him, but they were like marketers showing up in these particular towns and whatnot, paving the way for Jesus to come. Because if we think about it, like you can run the biggest event of all time. It doesn't matter how much money you spend. If you don't have, if you don't spend money on marketing something, if you don't advertise something, yeah, it doesn't matter how big the event is, then it comes to nothing because no one comes. It doesn't matter how big of a hole you rent, how much you spend on sound equipment, like nothing. Like there is such a need for marketing, but it's interesting here that Jesus's form of marketing is through people, is through people, like his form of marketing and not even through lots of people, through two people that he sends to a whole town or a city to go and spend time with the people there, which very much kind of is in line with what we see with a lot of the research that's been done on marketing that shows that by far the most effective form of marketing in terms of like marketing that people will see and actually feel compelled to interact with the product. We can talk about marketing that has lots of reach or whatever, but at the most effective form, marketing that actually leads to sales is word of mouth, like through spending time with someone who's already interacted with the product. So like, for example, I'm more inclined to buy a certain type of dish soap because I have a friend who uses that type and they've res re recommended it to me. Versus like I could see a thousand ads as to why the dish soap is so good. But if I don't know anyone who's had experience with that dish soap, then I'm not going to be inclined. I'm going to be less inclined to buy it. Then if my friend comes up and says, hey, like my friend who I know and whom I trust, they come and they spend time with me and they're like, hey, dude, there's this awesome dish soap. Every time my dishes are clean, I'm like, oh yeah, I'll buy that one too. Because they're my friend. I trust them. And so essentially these disciples are putting themselves in a position 
where they can befriend the people, get personal experience with them. People could see, okay, these people are of great character. They're very nice. They're very awesome. We love spending time with them. And then, hey, the reason we are what we are, you know, the reason we're spending this time with you is because we're actually, we're forerunners for this guy named Jesus. He's going to come and it's going to show you something that you've never seen before. And you're going to have an experience with him that's life-changing. And I feel like, yeah, that's very important and integral to our job today as like, whether you're a Bible worker, whether you're a church member, whatever you're doing, like you are essentially a marketer and that product is salvation. And the person who's offering it is Christ. Like that's- It's funny because those guys would have been very bold, right? Individually, they're convinced. They're personally convinced that Jesus is the Messiah, the scent of God. And they personally believe that everyone needs to accept him because he is the savior. He is the king of Israel the rightful king who's anointed by God to save the nation. That's what they believe. They've left everything because that's what they believe. And then they're going to go into cities, and with that conviction and with that belief, they're going to prepare people for his coming into their city to teach. These guys are going to have to, if you could imagine, with that conviction, with that understanding, what, like, how would you then characterize, like, what would their approach be characterized by? What words? Like, they would have been very bold. They would have been very confident. They would have had a sense of, like, I don't want to, they would have been, I don't know, just a sense of just real transcendent conviction. Yeah, I don't have the words, but I just picture in my mind what those guys must have been. They must have been very bold coming into the city, very confident and unflinching, unshakable. And just people would have been, they would have, I bet a million bucks, they would have been pretty polarizing figures. When they came into a town, they would have been polarizing individuals because when you act the way that they would have been acting, like you're going to get varied reactions from people. And if people were convinced that what they were saying is true and began to receive their teachings and interact with them and, and respond to their messaging, then those people were going to have to be, I don't know how to say this, they would have been probably just impressed by the sincerity and the conviction and belief of these guys. And so I guess that's just a lesson there. Just a simple, you can draw a simple lesson out of that. Like their success came from their conviction their confidence in the message and in the one who sent them. And that's what would have won people and gathered them together to hear the Lord when he came. I think that would have been the case. It wouldn't have been like they were super tricky and clever and amazing, talented individuals, but they were just super convicted, super confident, and super believing and faith-filled. Yeah, you can't trick people into following God. Like, you're, you can't trick people into being saved. And f for these guys, yeah, 100%, they would have shown up with that conviction and they had a message for both sides. If people were willing to accept, like they were preparing them for Jesus to come. If people weren't willing to accept, it's, oh, here's the consequences. You're going to be destroyed in judgment because you've rejected Jesus. Like It's almost like the method is so simplistic. It's so simple. It's almost like it's brilliant. It's simple in its brilliance. The only way it can work is, is, it's, is if it's of God. That's the only way it can work, is if it's of God. It's a bunch of guys going into a city delivering messages from Jesus, preparing people for his coming. I really think the secret ingredient to evangelistic success is the power of God and the moving of the Holy Spirit. And it's you just go to the city, you tell the truth, you find those who are interested in learning, you just are almost childlike in your disposition. You're not childish, you're not simplistic in your thoughts as if you're like unintelligent, but you're just being... In a, you're being childlike in your sincerity and just honest and heartfelt and genuine and true. 
and just letting the truth be the truth and your sincerity show and let God do the work. Let God be God. Yeah, that's just kind of some thoughts that I have when I consider these guys. But bro, so somebody might say, okay, you guys are stretching this a bit. You, you, Jesus wasn't doing public evangelism as we know it today. He didn't hire a hall. He didn't whatever. And then I would say, well, of course he didn't hire a hall. Like, But essentially, he had little venues. He had venues that ended up being the places that he preached. And he preached the messages of God. And people were stirred and moved. And he actually baptized people like into the kingdom. So his disciples go before him. They prepare the ground. He shows up. He does his ministry. And people are con converted as a consequence. And a central feature of his ministry was preaching, just like our public evangelism. And he did health ministry which is something that we do. So I'm not saying that he did exactly what we do specifically. I'm saying that on an essential level, on a basic level, it's principally the same. It's the base, same basic reality. So, bro, did you, people might not know this. I know you know this, but Jesus baptized people. Like, so he goes, he preaches, does his evangelism series, and then he starts baptizing. They have baptismal services. Did mm -hmm. you know that? You knew that. Well, it was, it was his disciples that baptized people on his behalf, right? But it was essentially like that was the outcome of his service was people being baptized. Yeah. That's right. Look, like it's in John chapter 4. So I'll read it. It's, it's, it says in verse 1, Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, he left Judea and went away into Galilee. Okay. So Jesus is team, his evangelism team, started baptizing more people and making more disciples than John the Baptist. So he's preaching publicly. He's baptizing lots of people. The church is growing. So it's like, yeah, they're doing it. <laughs> it seems pretty public evangelism for me. And I think for me, the way that I know that Jesus was definitely in a position to where we could call him a public evangelist from our perspective is that he was recognized as a teacher first and foremost and above everything else. And how do you get recognized by as a teacher by the entirety of Judea? Like he, he has that meeting with Nicodemus and Nicodemus says, oh, we know that you're a teacher come from God is because you're teaching publicly and teaching publicly is public evangelism. Like A1, what is public evangelism? Teaching the Bible publicly. Jesus was doing that. And the result is that he's like converting people to Christianity, or they weren't even called Christians at this time, but to the way, to following Jesus, like this can only be classified as public evangelism. When Jesus, bro, when he's arrested at nighttime in the dark, he says to them, hey, you never arrested me, but I was like when I was teaching publicly regularly in the temple, but here you come at night. He's saying, I do my work, I do my ministry out in public where everyone can see it because I have nothing to hide. I have nothing to hide. I'm just teaching publicly. But you guys come at night and you do your business at night. It just shows that Jesus, his ministry was characterized by transparency and openness. And that's one of the reasons why he preached publicly. So that's, it just complements what you're saying. Like they recognized, they acknowledged he was a teacher. He's traveling around teaching publicly. And then he himself, when he's arrested, says, hey, I taught publicly. I was in the temple every day. You didn't arrest me then, but you're the kind of guys who sneak around in the dark and do your business in the dark. I'm the kind of guy who's very transparent and very open. Everything I have to say, I could say it openly. Now, of course, Jesus was very wise and there were things that he didn't say. He spoke in parables and he understood that there were things that people were not prepared to hear. 
But that doesn't mean that he didn't preach publicly. Dude, he also, Lawson, not only did he preach publicly from place to place, not only did he have Bible working teams, his disciples, not only was he recognized by everyone, like you say, as a public evangelist, but he, he called people to decision, like publicly. Right now, okay, he says, and I heard this from Billy Graham, and I thought it was amazing. Billy Graham said in one of his crusades, he used to say it in a lot of his big public crusades, is he would say, Jesus not only preached publicly, but he would call people to decision publicly. And then he quoted Mark chapter 8 in verse 38, where Jesus says, If any man will be ashamed of me and my words in this wicked and adulterous generation, of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with all the holy angels. So he's basically saying, don't be ashamed of me and my words in this generation. And then in another place, it's a companion passage where he says the same thing a little bit differently. He says, if you don't confess me before men, I won't confess you before the Father. So he says, you need to make public confession. You publicly need to confess your faith in me. That's something that he wanted. That's something that he desired. And he wanted a public testimony from those who chose to believe. And he didn't want, like, now, of course, it's not to say that everyone's disposed similarly and everyone needs to be loud and outgoing like you and I. No, but it's saying you, you're not called by God to hide your light under a bushel. And this is, and by the way, this is why so many Christian believers have died a martyr's death. It's not because they had to. It's because they voluntarily chose to make a public confession, which got them in trouble. And you'd never have the history of the Christian church littered with martyrdom had people not been professing and proclaiming Jesus Christ publicly and then preaching him publicly. Like, you're perfectly safe if you just keep what you believe to yourself. But Jesus is like, no, 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 that's not how it works. All authority is given me in heaven and earth. Go, therefore, and teach. And the implication, you do it publicly. I, I, I'm not hiding behind closed doors here. This is a message for the world, and it needs to go to the world. And oftentimes, the testimony ends in a bloody mess. But then anyways, yeah, so I just thought that was pretty amazing. So he's not just preaching publicly. He's calling people to confess him publicly. Yeah, and I believe that can happen because the work that has been going on previous to this, whether it's the Bible workers, his disciples preparing the soil, and Jesus preaching, has been a public work. Okay, we want people to profess Jesus publicly. We want people to identify as Christians because that is a witness. But you, you witness to others by doing that. And by identifying yourself as a Christian, like people see you and then people are led to, okay, this person exhibits good behavior and they're a nice person and they identify as Christian. That is what a witness is. Then people become interested in the God that they serve. And so if we're expecting people to identify as Christian publicly because we expect people to be witnesses, then our methodology of winning them to Christ also needs to be public and open. Like why? Oh man, we could get into and talk about, I, I feel like so much of the church not, and not just the Adventist church, but so much of Christianity just wants to get tricky, just wants to get tricky with it. And I'm like, and spend money on being tricky and secret. And then just, then eventually when people like you enough, spring Jesus onto them. No, just be nice because you are Christian and people know that's that's called witnessing. That is a witness to people. Like the, so I the will pretend that I don't know God for two years and then all of a sudden you'll learn. Like I'm a Jesus follower. Honestly, that's a clever way to hide your light under a bushel. And dude, it's funny because, okay, I'm doing an evangelism meeting and it's in Iowa and the people who are, there's 40 visitors coming and then 
a family that consists of 10 people who are attending. They're like extended family. They're all coming to this series of meetings, but they, so they find out that Adventists are actually a cult. And so they bring this information to me from the internet and they're like, we're really concerned. We thought you were just a Bible preaching gospel minister, but now we find out that you're an Adventist and your, your church is a cult and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. And I said to him, one of the things that I said to him, I said, lot, we had lots of things that we talked about at that point. And we assuaged their fears and helped them to see that the Adventist church, by definition, is not a cult. And uh, anyways, but that was just a pejorative used to shame us and smear us so that by other faith groups, so that people would not listen to us. So it's just like, just kill the messenger so that way nobody has to hear the message. And I said, bro, did you notice that the meetings that you're coming to are like public? Did you notice also that we invited every single person that we could to come? Like we did advertising on the radio, we did advertising through flyers, we were in stores, we were out in the community for six months before we did the series. You knew that we were inviting everyone publicly. And so, yeah, of course. I said, is that cult-like behavior? I was yeah. like, when's the last time you had a cult that was not secretive? Like, we're not calling people to secret meetings here, bro, to give them the secret knowledge that only we'll have, right? Like, no, no, this isn't a covert operation. Usually cults operate in the dark because they have something to hide. I said, that's not us. We want to have open dialogue with as many people as we possibly can. And I said, have I ever said to you, have I ever said to you who you can and who you can't speak to? Don't speak to that person. Don't speak to this person. You don't have permission to go to that gathering. And he was like, no, you've never done that. I said, is your pastor doing that right now? And he said, yeah, my, my pastor's telling me not to come to these meetings. I was like, and he's saying that I'm the one who's leading a cult. Yeah. Mm. That's <laughs> you know, so funny. Bro. It's just wild. <laughs> It's wild. Yeah. And it's like, no, 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 this is not a cult, bro. We're having public dialogue with as many people as we possibly can and sharing as openly as we can because we think that what we're sharing is the truth. And we've got nothing to hide. And we're not telling you who you can go associate with and who you can't, but that's what your pastor is telling you. Dude, I, if I can reflect anecdotally as well on an experience that I'm actually having at the moment and God has really led. We, I am currently Bible working for a church. It's called the Newcastle University Seventh-day Adventist Church. And we have our student club that operates on the uni. It's called ASOC, which is Adventist Students on Campus. And at the start of this year, we're trying to come up with some kind of evangelistic plan for this year. Some kind of method. How are we going to conduct ourselves? What things are we going to do and run? We're just coming up with our vision and our plan for the year. And we had previously used a model which was like, oh, hey, if we just run a ton of programs... Like we'll do like sports classes, vegan cooking classes, like all these different types of things. What we'll do is we'll attract a bunch of people to come like from the vegan community, from the sports community, whatever it is. And then we'll spend time with them and then we'll tell them like, oh yeah, we're a Christian club. And because we're already friends with them, then we'll get them in and then we'll be able to share the gospel with them. But that method had not been working at all. We, if we advertise ourselves, say, as a vegan club, we'd get lots of interest, but no spiritual interest. And if we advertise ourselves as a Christian vegan club, then we'd get no interest. And so we were like, like from outside people. And so we were like, okay, what do we do? What do we do? How do we market ourselves? Like, how do we interact with people in this, in this university community? And we come up with a different method. We said, okay, no more programs. No more vegan cooking class. No, what we're going to do is we're going to market ourselves as a Christian club where people can come to hear about Christianity. We changed our banners. We changed everything so that it said like 
Christian. Everything was Christian, Christian, Christian. Like we're a Christian club that people can come to, to learn about truth. And this year from every metric, church attendance, care group attendance, Bible studies, everything has doubled, if not more in some areas. Like we have more contacts than we've ever had before. We've got more people in Bible studies than we've ever had before. We've, yeah, from every single conceivable statistic, we've increased. And even baptism as well. Like we just had four contacts make decisions to get baptized very recently. And we're only halfway through the year and we're a 30 person church and we're in the process of, we've got one baptism on the 23rd of July. We've got one baptism on the 8th of August. Like we, literally it will almost be a weekly baptism. We're going to be baptizing people from, listen, we achieved that because we stopped running programs where we hid our Christianity. And we just told everyone we're a Christian club that you can come to, to learn about God. And overnight, right. everything's changed. Everything has changed. We're so blessed. God is blessed. God is led. And we've expanded the kingdom of heaven. We're just honest about who we are. Yeah. Amen. Amen. And I'm sure that you guys aren't just like spilling all the beans immediately to everybody. Oh, yeah, nah. <laughs> you're being wise and tactful, but you're just not being ashamed of the gospel or That's hiding right. your light under a bushel. No, it's so right. good. Hey, it's so good. And even when you do a cooking class or some needs-based program, you shouldn't pretend that you're something that you're not. It doesn't mean that you're like preaching a sermon on Daniel 7 to everybody that you meet. You're going to exercise self-control and be wise as a serpent. But at the same time, you're just not going to play this phony kind of game where you're just afraid and ashamed and scared. And it's just, you're all, you never come off genuine. You never come off sincere. You just look awkward. It's just not real. It's still not. We talk about authenticity all the time in our ministry, but then don't even let people know who we are. <laughs> That's hardly authentic. But anyways, man, there's a fine balance in a in a in in being yourself and Jesus, but at the same time not being obtrusive. But the world around us tells us that you're being obtrusive just by being yourself. They're basically saying you don't have the right to be. And then we follow suit and say, yeah. And we hide our lights. So listen, bro, we got it. We're out of time. And I just want to thank everyone for, for joining us. Thank you, Lawson, for spending some time with me to consider this topic. The Jesus and his disciples, they did public evangelism and it really worked. And obviously, guys, we're not saying that just having a slick preacher come to town and preach is going to gather millions of people. The way Jesus did public evangelism, he didn't just like show up in a hall and just start preaching. He had fired up, spirit-filled, powerful witnesses going to the community who were just lighting the city up and they were doing massive power. They were doing massive works of God. Like they had the power of God. And when they came back and reported to Jesus on their work, they would say, hey, even the demons are subject to us. We have the power of God. So obviously God has to empower the evangelism with his spirit and we have to do it in the same attitude and disposition of the disciples for it to be successful. But if we do it the way that they did it, it is successful. It's one of the most successful tools we have in winning people to Christ. Anyways, thanks guys so much for your time and so much more we could say, Lawson, but we got to get out. Yeah, praise God. Yeah, thanks see you guys. Me. See you guys next week. God bless.